1: Everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thunderstruck, our look back at the career, the greatest matches of one Duchenne Thunder Thunderliger. My name is W.H. Park. I am the co host of the Post Perez podcast here at uh, ProWrestling.com, which you can hear every month with myself and, of course, John Pollock. But this is not Post Perez, this is Thunderstruck, and, uh, this series has a unique standalone guest for each episode, and and joining me today, I'm very excited. Uh, this special guest, he's uh, been a, a, ve- a regular guest on the British Wrestling Experience. He's uh, his, his first time doing talking about Japanese wrestling, maybe on on this show. Uh, well, he's his first appearance on this show. It's his only appearance on this show, actually. So, so anyways, he is uh, the host of the British Wrestling Report, which you can hear over at the Pro Wrestling Torch site, as well as a bunch of other podcasts talking about politics and and very. Uh, sundries of sorts. Uh, he is Will Cooling. Will, how are you, sir?
0: I'm very well. And excuse you, we are still talking about British wrestling on this podcast. I, I have dragged you and your series of fun, uh, on YouTube Fundaliga down into the dark dirt that I like to live most of my wrestling life.
1: Well, if you talk about dark and dirty where we're, we're, we're going to talk about the uh, rev pro production values uh, throughout the course of this uh, series so don't, don't worry about that don't don't get uh, ahead of yourself there will uh <laughs> b- before we get into the match itself i i would like maybe uh you to tell our listeners maybe maybe some of them don't you know ta- listen to shows about the the british wrestling scene so let's give a bit of background on will cooling your history as a fan and 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 what like Jason Liger means to you as a as a wrestling fan?
0: Yeah, so like I put a weird um, circuitous route this point in my life in the sense of, you know, started off as like a WWE, sorry, WWF fan, WCW fan, based on the vagaries of what I had access to in the 90s, um, had consistent access to WWF from 99 onwards. Unlike a lot of people, could never really make tape trading work. I tried it a few times. It never really clicked for me. We got the Wrestling Channel, I think, in 2003, I want to say, 2002, 2003. So I watched a lot of stuff on the Wrestling Channel, including things like Noah. Um, And then, from the mid-noughties, wrestling took a back seat for me to UFC. And so a lot of the late-noughties, early tens, early this decade, I was focusing more on UFC and even when I was writing for Fighting swim magazine, which most people know as a pro wrestling magazine, most of the stuff I was contributing was actually UFC articles and UFC features. And it's only when UFC got boring <laughs> that I slowly gravitated uh, back towards pro wrestling in a big way. And then I just happened to um, be living in one of the areas that is like a British wrestling hotbed. And that, got me to catch the bug in a way I've never been able to do before because where I grew up, we didn't really have live wrestling. You know, it was a complete wasteland. Like The only live, major live show I remember coming to where I lived when I was young was when I was 18, and it was headlined by D'Lo Brown facing Alex Shane, and this was in 2005. <laughs> and if you don't know who Alex Shane is, I envy you, I wish we... Uh, both myself as an individual and the wider British wrestling world didn't know who Alex Shane was. Um, think our think a combination of our Vince Russo and our Jeff Jarrett in one person—that who Alex Shane is. Um, and then I had actually gone to I want to say Summer Sizzler in two thousand thirteen, and then was going to get more involved in going to shows. So basically I'd been encouraged to go with some friends, including my um, editor at the time, Fire sphere magazine. And then I met a woman who was, going to become, who was going to become my wife. And then like, it was a struggle to keep up with the stuff I was writing about, let alone pick up extra things. And so really, I kind of, at the time the show we were talking about, which is the British J-Cup in 2017, that's when I was getting serious about watching pro, uh, British Pro Wrestling again and going to the live shows. Now, in terms of Yusuf van der he's one of those weird guys where I can't remember when I didn't know who he was. Like, he's just been an ever presence in my Pro Wrestling fandom, which gives me this horrible feeling that I probably saw him uh, for the first time on an episode of, like, WCW Worldwide. So, in Britain, we got uh, edited highlight. So, WCW was always very difficult to get in Britain, uh, particularly, no Nitro was on much, very remote channel, even more so than uh, uh, WWF. Because although WWF was on Sky, Sky was, like, the leading pay TV service. WCW was on, like, the lesser equivalent. So, until it- WCW was on its deathbed... Nitro is almost impossible to get unless you had this particular type of uh, pay TV uh, service. But from 1999 and 2000, you had WCW Worldwide being put on, and I've got this horrible feeling like one of those awful like uh, hoovie hitting him with a tequila bottle. Maybe the first time I actually saw <laughs> Eugene and like. <laughs>
1: It's not a good introduction to the man. I have to say, like that match and uh, that whole—I think the fucking IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title changed hands in some yeah. fucking tequila on a bottle bullshit that fucking Vince fucking Russo booked. Yeah, and for those you might not know, I fucking hate Vince Russo. I think he's a plague on the history of professional wrestling. He killed uh, WCW. Him and Bischoff, but mainly him. But, anyways, we're not, we're not going to talk about fucking Vince Russo on this show. This is a show about Jushin Thunder Liger. So, well, but, you know, the thing is, you, you have since, like, uh, you know, like, have cleansed the palate, so to speak, with Jushin Liger matches. I'm, I'm sure you've gone back and seen his classic runs in, in the 1990s and some of his better stuff recently, I'm sure. Yes?
0: Well, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, but also the other thing is, where, like, he, someone like myself, as a WWF fan in the early noughties. The rise of Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko really exposed you to him as well because no, and Rey Mysterio in terms of his WCW work, so, or so many of their compilations would have Liger on them. And like, I like one of my favorite WWF box sets I had, this would be in the nor- in the noughties, was like their Cruiserweight, uh, I think it was like a free DVD set, which was just excellent match after excellent match after excellent match. and I'm sure like. No, you 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 get to see like Black Tiger, the, the Eddie Guerrero version of Black Tiger, up against you Liger. Like, fucking hell, this is great! <laughs> why 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 are they doing matches like this ten years later on WWF? <laughs> and so, yes, you quickly get acclimatized to uh, how good things were um, elsewhere, and it's one of these things with. Um, VOD, because I remember um, when New Japan World launched, I sat down to watch the, the first Wrestle Kingdom, which I think would be Wrestle Kingdom 7. That was on New Japan World. And I was actually watching it in Harare, because I was, I was in Harare uh, for my wedding. And I had to do like this traditional wedding where i pay my in-laws for permission to marry my wife. And um, um, we were in a hotel in Harare, and I just watched watch Jones versus uh, Cormier, the first John Jones versus Daniel Cormier match, had like an hour's break onto uh, New Japan world. I'm just like, this is nuts. Like, I would have just, I'd have never left the house if this stuff was available when I was 18 years old. Because like, I lived, like I loved pro wrestling. I lived pro wrestling. I loved finding out all that was going on in pro wrestling. But because I could never quite make tape trading work... I just was very limited in terms of what I could watch.
1: Oh yeah, it's like you know, like you know, the younger listeners will, you know, like if you're over, over under the age of like I don't know, like thirty five, you you won't know the the pain and the joy of tape trading of like you know ordering stuff waiting weeks for it to come or you know waiting for it to make tape for for one thing and then waiting for it to reach your tape dealer mine was jeff lynch so he was like the premier (laughs) tape dealer of of his time and like i would just make my orders and like by this time he's doing like he's doing newsletters and he's doing email so by the time i'm i'm like using jeff lynch he's using email so it's just like i sent him an order and i had a good nice rapport with him because i was doing stuff for like a little bit for the observer via brian alvarez and then like some stuff for the live audio wrestling site as well so he knew who i was and so like he would he would like sometimes make compilations for me like if i asked him to for an extra fee but like it was great like i'd come home well there's what's this huge yellow envelope in my in my in my, my box what it's it's the 20 discs I've ordered all the zero one for wrestling NOAH new Japan all Japan uh, that I was like I was interested in at that time but now we have VOD and my god like it has just changed the landscape of not only I think professional wrestling like as, as an industry as, as a business model but also for like for fandom. Like there is so many more people who have exposure to like you know Japanese professional wrestling now like and, and even like Mexican professional wrestling via like VOD sites or even like youtube it's It's astounding like the the exposure that that wrestling as a whole has gotten like worldwide.
0: Well you um you know our good mutual friends, the grapple Spotlight guys like Benno J. p. and Joe, they do a weekly review show without watching WWE. Oh, yeah. Because there's so much stuff going on around the world that you don't need to watch WWE to get your weekly fix. Like, there is more wrestling than anybody can humanly watch um, uh, every week. No, live, no, you know, high spots, independent wrestling, let alone New Japan, although I'll stay clear of it this month, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go near that. (laughs) That dumpster fire this month. Jesus Christ. Um, um, but yes, no, there's just so much rest. I also do the other thing. Do other thing that I think held me back from tape trading was in 2004 when I actually had like, like a regular income. I was just I was like spending like 50 quid a month or 50 quid a week even on comics. And so I was like, all my money was going into like this massive comics addiction. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm the same way. Like I, I, I collect comics, and, and not so much now since I've moved to Japan because it's like it's very, you know, it's not very easy to do that. So I switched to digital. But you know, the thing was like I'd spend a ton of money on on, on DVDs, like for from Japan for for my wrestling fix because I I I would watch WWF still, but like after the demise of WCW and after like I don't know the peak with the SmackDown Six, I kind of moved away from that. But I got more into Japan. So I'd be spending, I don't know, like $70 plus every week, like is 60, $60, $70 on comic books. Because even though I worked at a comic book store for a long time, like I I got a, you know, I got a good discount. I would still spend a lot of money because I "I got this discount. I I can buy more. And then this is like the the rise (laughs) of like trade paperbacks and graphic novels, like hardbacks and stuff like that. So I was just like going nuts on that stuff. So I, I I'm surprised I, I do not live in poverty, actually. It's it's quite amazing. <laughs> but you know, like we should get to back to the the, the topic well, at hand, which is uh two matches. You picked two matches that we're gonna review today. They're from yeah. the same event. Uh well tell us about these two matches.
0: So yes yeah, so the reason I picked these was because this so like I really want to see uh Yushin from the Liga. I had misremembered I looked back when we were preparing for this I thought I'd missed out on a chance of seeing him um, in October 2013. I thought he was on Tanahashi, on the same show that Tanahashi was going to be on in your call, that I had to give my ticket back because I had just met my girlfriend. I had to take her out on a uh, birthday date. But he wasn't on that show. I misremembered. Like, I'd always want to see uh, Liger, and one of the things um, we were kind of joking about earlier about how I got to see him. But one of the things about him, and Quoden's spoken about this only uh, openly, the owner of Red Pro, was that Liger was the guy that you didn't need to be a like a Japanese wrestling buff to know who he was. No, you just had to be a reasonably knowledgeable hardcore fan, and you knew and cared about Yushin von der Liger. Because he'd had that exposure through WCW, he'd had a lot of exposure through um, those WWE compilations for the likes of Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and uh, Rey Mysterio. And so Liger had this elevated profile. And so I always wanted to see him. And, you know, he was announced for the Super J, uh, uh, the British Jacob, which was Rev Pro's first one-night tournament uh, for what they would call cruiser rates, although for one night only they call them junior heavyweights, which is a bit weird. Um, but so I thought, like, oh, great. No, I can go to this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm now, my marriage has imploded, so I'm now once again <laughs> free to take a Sunday to, down to London to watch wrestling. And so I had my ticket booked, and then I got, I, then I had a load of expenses, and so I couldn't afford the train journey down, and so I ended up not going to watch the British Jacob. And not only does Liger wrestle twice, but Liger actually wins the whole tournament. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I should have gone to that. This then sets a kind of a comedy of errors where the next time he's announced for the UK was the um, the first refro Pro TV tapings. And I actually have a ticket for the first day of the Rev Pro tapings. I don't make the same mistakes I made last time of not booking my train ticket. I actually booked my train ticket alongside my uh, ticket. So I know I've got the money to go down. My son gets called in to hospital first thing in the morning because his asthma is playing up again. And so I have to rush the hospital and I cannot go for obvious reasons, because I am in a hospital with my son. And so I don't get to see that. And then the third time he is (laughs) announced, was the first day of the 2008 British Jacob, and I'm at a wedding. So I have to kind of work away to get from that wedding back to mine, and then get from mine to where the British Jacob is taking place the, the second night, because that was the one time I've done it over two nights. So I could finally see Yushin van der Niger. So the fourth time of asking, I finally got to see him with this complete shit show of errors all began with a British gay Jacob in 2017 also if we're talking about Liger's career you know he's had better bigger matches in the UK than what he had on this night but no, I've looked um I'm pretty sure this is the last title he won in his career
1: okay, yeah and maybe that- like in uh in, overall, like in Japan or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I, I've looked in
0: Japan. I've looked in Mexico. I've looked in American Indies. I can't see him having won a title anywhere since the summer of two thousand seventeen.
1: I I want to say he won a tag title with Tanahashi in Mexico, but I don't know if that was before. I think I fans. looked. I'm sure, that
0: was before. Okay.
1: So you're probably right then. Well, this is like significant a
0: match. And uh, because I thought, oh, maybe he's, he he's had a, like a heavyweight title reign in Mexico, but I'm pretty sure that was like uh, 2013ish. Um, and so, actually, on that level, it's fairly historic. You know, in terms of this idea of you know, the last thing, last piece of gold Liger uh, got to hold in his storied career. The other thing, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues to say about and their booking, um, even more about their production values. But the one thing Rev Pro got him right, that New Japan haven't gotten right, that Ring of Honor never got right, or not in this era anyway, is that no matter how old he is, no matter how limited he is in the ring, like is still a legend. And you should treat him like a legend. You should book him like a legend because he is a legend that kind of reaches beyond that, as I was saying, that New Japan niche, so like I, I remember saying like when um, when New Japan first went to Long Beach and they got Billy Gunn to challenge Tanahashi because they just wanted Tanahashi to have a challenger who the American fans knew, that should have been Yushin Liger. The American fans knew him. Liger would have given Tanahashi a better match than Billy Gunn. Likewise, there were so many opportunities for Ring of Honor to give Liger that big um, celebration, celebra- celebratory moment, and they never did. Most recently, <clears throat> with the New Japan show, the, the tour of the tour of California uh, or the West Coast that New Japan did, they had Liger in a comedy match. What second from the top?
1: Yeah, it was his like last ever match. It was a tag match that he his team didn't even win. I was like, <laughs> what yeah. the fuck is that? And-
0: you compare that to Rev Pro, because I was also live for Liger's last match in the UK, which was Red Pro's 7th anniversary show, it was in Cheltenham, and he was in the main event, and he was teaming with Mike Loku, so the big babyface uh, cruiserweight they're trying to push. He was meant to be teaming against El, El Phantasmo, but El Phantasmo uh, couldn't make the journey, but... He- they substituted Chris Brooks, so it's still a big match. And yeah, it wasn't the best match ever, but they put a team over and they had a kind of bow out. And as he legend he is. And I think whatever you say about Rev Pro, they've always um maximized what they could get out of Liger. And one of the interesting things is um Quilden has a podcast, a really, really good podcast he does with Andy Boy Simmons, um, could for A Square Circle. And they actually did a podcast about the New Japan relationship and the New Japan relationship, which is pretty much the only reason rev Pro still exists, <laughs> um, um began with Liger. Because it's through booking Liger they developed the relationship with Tiger Otori. And it's through Tiger Otori they developed the relationship, they were able to get Tanahashi. And it's through having Tanahashi they developed the relationship with the New Japan office. Where now they are effectively a subsidiary of New Japan, and they can rely on getting New Japan talent over uh, to keep them going in the face of WWE opposition. So all based on getting Liger is completely change the direction of Rev Pro and maybe British Wrestling. Hmm,
1: interesting. So just for edification, so for those listeners, we're we're going to be talking about the British J Cup two thousand seventeen and and. Jushin Thunder Liger's participation in that show, it's two matches. The first one is against uh, uh, everyone's favorite British wrestler, Josh Bodham. And then he <laughs> participates in the finals of the British J Cup uh, against Kushida, Marty Skrull, and Will Ospreay. This uh, is from July 8th, 2017. It's from the Walthamstow Assembly Hall. Am I getting that right? Um I'm
0: going to trust your pronunciation. Anyone who's listened to my podcast knows the English language is not my strong strong suit. But yes,
1: I think that is how it's pronounced. In in London, England, I'm sure I pronounced London, England, right? Correctly. Yeah. So, what? Uh, t- 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 well, tell us a bit about. So, you're talking about the British J Cup Ligers, kind of influence of houses participation changes, British wrestling, and and Rev Pro. Um, so, let's talk about his first match in this on this event, and that's against Josh Bodem. Tell us about this like kind of the background of this match and i'll get into like kind of what happens in the match itself
0: yeah so like this is four first round matches um bodum is coming in as cruiserweight champion um liger um I-, I think he lost both his matches in 2016 at global wars he definitely lost multi school i think he lost All Osprey. so Liger's on the beverly Hills street he has been his usual cocky self and they basically do a very quick match. Um, we'll talk about it a bit when we talk about the final. Liger doesn't do much in either of these matches. The matches he had in Red Pro in 2015, 2016, and even arguably the ones he had in 2018, are actually much better matches, even though they're not as quite as high profile and um, or as meaningful in terms of um, winning things. But... Liger basically wins a very quick match by catching Bodum by surprise.
1: Yeah, well, like I'll let me get into the uh, the actual what happens in the match. So, you know, like we start off with Bodum coming out. He is the undisputed cruiserweight champion for RevPro. He's got a good look. Like what, say what you will about Josh Bodum and his attitude and things, but he has a great look. Like it's it's a shame. That is it's wasted on someone as, as stupid as he is, obviously. Uh, Liger comes out. He gets an excellent response from the, the British crowd. Uh, Bodum attacks Liger right away with a couple of big boots to the face. Uh, he shoots Liger to the ropes. He uh, pops Liger up into the air and then drives his knee as Liger's uh, coming down. Into, and he drives his knee into Liger's face. And he follows up with a spitting, jumping enziguri. So, you know, the thing with Josh Bodum is that uh, he's got a great look. He's a great athlete. And he, 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 he has some really good, like, he knows how to put some moves together. So it's a real shame that this guy just is just wastes his potential by being a dickhead.
0: Yeah, like um by the way, I just checked it. I was wrong. Like it did beat Will Ospreay. That by the way is a very funny match because Will Osprey comes out in full uh full blown uh Yushin like a cosplay. Um but you know, I mean it's a difficult one with bodum because what made Bowdoin part of what made Bodum fun was the fact that he was a head case, that he was a bit of a liability, and you never quite knew what was gonna go happen with him. Um in terms of this match, you know, he's behaving himself. Um what I like about this match is they actually work as a fast match. This isn't long. Um they clearly were a bit nervous by having Liger do two matches in one night. And so they, this is kept quite quick. Um they they, they whether it was designed by the booking team. I think it was designed by the booking team based on what happened later. But like, they, they protected Bodum, their champion, by having him just kick out just after the, the three um, and have Bodum protest. But I think these guys had chemistry. I think they're kind of they're both kind of bigger cruiserweights, bigger junior heavyweights, and they're kind of uh, uh, hitting big moves going going for the big power power moves and uh, yeah it's, it's as fun a 3 minute match as you're going to get
1: yeah so just continuing with uh, oh. the the, match, the- what happens, Bodum mounts Liger for a sloppy cover for only a two. Uh, Bodom continues the assault on the Legend, including a double stomp to the back of Liger from the second turnbuckle. Uh, Liger catches Bodom as he's going for some kind of top rope move, and they do, uh, they do battle up there. Liger gets the upper hand and hits Bodum with a beautiful superplex. He then falls up with a shoté in the face, a Liger bomb. There's a one, a two, but... Bodum kicks out, so like like you're saying, well, like they're they're definitely trying to keep Bodum strong yeah. by like having a kick out of like three of like you know Jushin Liger's signature moves like in succession, no less.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like you know, Bodum's But they did a big thing with Bodum. You know, the whole thing with the cruiserweight title. no. God bless Andy Kid It didn't. It didn't work out well for him in the end. But he was a big believer in Josh Bodum, He trusted Josh Bodum, Josh Bodum was a friend to him, and um, he was making sure that he got the rubber to green here. And like, look, Bodum is a very talented wrestler. I mean, was um, I mean, he's not. He's not wrestled recently, but he's a very talented wrestler. And he was hanging with Leica, He absolutely was, and he wasn't doing anything silly. Thank Christ.
1: Well, I. Excuse me, I was just taking a sip of water while you were talking there. But um, So what happens is he kicks out of the Liger bomb, but immediately following that, there, Liger hits him with a brain buster for the 1, 2, and the 3, and Josh Bodum is beaten in 2 minutes and 20 seconds, which is... Makes me laugh, to be quite honest. But so the from there, is, Bodum goes, it, you know, "quote unquote" nuts after the match. He he starts getting in the rest face. He gets in Andy Quinlan's face, and he he goes after security as well. Uh, maybe a, a portent of things to come two years later. <laughs> there, uh, well,
0: yeah, no, we're not doing, this is a bad boy. This is just uh, you know playing into what everybody knew he was capable of. Um, the thing I get, this is a two and a half minute match, but one of the things I kind of there's no reason why you can't have satisfying two-and-a-half-minute wrestling matches. Like, we were talking about earlier, I'm a UFC fan, I'm a boxing fan. Two-and-a-half-minute matches are some of the best matches in either sport because you just have so much action and it's bang, 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 and you get a quick finish. And for some reason, in most pro wrestling now, a two-and-a-half-minute match isn't isn't a short match. It's a long match short in places, uh, which, by the way, to to reference what we talked about earlier, that is a quote about uh, Sergio Leone movies. Um, um, and but this was a short match that made sense. It was wrestled at a real pace. It was wrestled with intensity. It felt like like I don't think you could really leave this being dissatisfied. Like you 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 got the big moves. You got it wrestled at pace, and you got a cool finish. But it was only two and a half minutes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I, I thought it was perfectly fine, especially considering I had to watch, I had to watch the finals, which is a four way. So I'm thinking, okay, that's that's going at least fifteen minimum. So we'll we'll get <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, so let's get into the finals with uh, Liger, Kushida, uh, Will Osprey, and uh, the villain Marty Skull. Skull. One thing I have to get out of the way right away, and and I kind of alluded to this, is that Rev Pro's picture quality sucks. Okay, and I've 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 said this. every time I see something that's, you know, imported onto the New Japan World Service from RevPro, I'm always astounded at, like, what is this garbage that I'm watching? Because if you compare it to, like, the beautiful picture quality, the beautiful 1080p, of like New Japan World that shot by the New Japan World crew compared to this handheld fucking ROH Circuit 2003 bullshit, it's it's astounding that this makes it. It's embarrassing even. Like you, you'd think they'd invest some of that money that they used to bring in imports to like getting a better fucking camera. Like it's astounding, especially when you compare it to like Progress. You compare it to like a smaller company like say Riptide or Ott that they don't have the money to upgrade their their cameras. It's so- astounding.
0: So, what I'll say about this is there's a big difference between RevPro, even at this point, and Progress, and RevPro now, and RevPro against Riptide. And and I don't know about OTT, so I'm not going to say about OTT, but it's only compared to Riptide. The thing with RevPro is this is Andy Quilden's job. So, unlike a a Progress at this point, unlike a Riptide, Andy Quilden has to pay himself enough money to live before he can spend any money on the business. And so that means he has to cut his cloth accordingly. And so that means things like having the Gucci camera set up goes by the wayside. Um, I don't think it's coincidence that after World Quest, that Andy Quilden ran on behalf of New Japan, he all of a sudden has the money to uh, massively revamp his camera setup. And so now the, the most recent British shakeup, and um, the one that was won by Michael Oku, um that is has been shot in brand new camera equipment. And whilst Revpro still <laughs> Repro's got great equipment, they're still using trainees to shoot the, the shows, and so there's still a few issues with how the equipment's being used. But the cam the picture quality is much improved because they've finally had the money to to have that equipment upgrade. But yes, the pitch quality is bad. But the reason is, is unlike most British wrestling promotions, this is Crildon's job. He has to pay his mortgage before he can have fancy cameras. I mean, literally, like, I think this is around about the time that the first progress owner goes full-time. Because John, uh, so, you know, three progress owners, John Briley, Glenn Joseph, uh, Jim Smallman, uh, Smallman was doing his comedy gigs. Joseph was doing his theatre gigs. Briley, who, although he hasn't got the profile of Smallman, really is the brains behind progress. Briley was literally working nights at The Guardian as an online comments moderator through, through most of the growth of progress. Just so that he could pay his bills. And because because Crowden was a full time pro wrestling promoter, he didn't have that luxury.
1: Well, I mean, you know, well, that's I, I can take, I can appreciate that. But as a fan, I don't care. It's- I don't care that he does, he he doesn't he's. He doesn't want to eat fucking cup ramen for like, you know, five years or anything for dinner <laughs> dinner or, or breakfast or lunch even. You know, it's like I want to see good fucking quality in my wrestling. So that's the only thing I care about. What he does to be to, to able to do that is his problem. It's not mine. I'm just looking at it as purely as a viewer. But let, let's move on. So before the match actually starts, before the finals actually start, we have British wrestling legend Marty Jones. He comes out to say something to the fans, but I don't know what it is because guess what, well, well, the fucking audio on this fucking show sucks as well.
0: <laughs> it does. I can like, look, I, you know what the scary thing is actually, WH? The, the quality of retro shows this year until they got new equipment is worse than this show.
1: That's scary.
0: Because this is bad equipment that is at least new. And clearly the equipment they had was either this or it was even worse. And it was clearly on the end of its uh, natural life by the time they were calling uh, matches this year. Because I have seen, Red Pro, like, one of my favorite matches this year in Red Pro is uh, Michael oku Pack, or um, I think, June. And that looks worse than the D-Shows.
1: Wow, that's that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, Marty Jones's speech, I made a note, is is longer than the liger boat match. And all the while, the poor ref, I think it's Chris Roberts, is that correct? Yes, Chris, Robert, yes. uh, Chris Robert has to hold this fucking trophy the entire time that Marty Jones is waxing poetically about God knows fucking what because I can't hear what the fuck he's saying maybe it's probably his accent as well because I sometimes people from the UK have thick accents which I cannot discern even though we're all speaking the same language it, it, you know it, it, it can become a chore to try to understand what this, what, what people are saying uh, for me at least and it doesn't help it's compounded by shitty audio quality as well. But anyways, let's get into the four-way finals. Out first is Marty Scurll, Uh in, in full, villain club, bullet club, you know, Marty Skrull like, uh, regalia. Next, Jishin Thunder Liger. Uh, third out is Kushida, who, by the way, is the IWGP Junior Heavyweight and the ROH World Television Champion at this time. And finally, out last is Will Ospreay. So you would think maybe Will Ospreay is going to win this match because he's out the last here, uh, Will.
0: Well, no, but um, I, they, they did it. They played it by the book. It was in order that they won their matches. Um, this is a really, I mean, obviously, three h will go through the um, the blow-by-blow of the matches. But basically, this is one where you can see Quilden's strengths and his limitations as a booker in the sense of Quilden is a very logical booker um, you can see kind of the wirings in his brain, how he's trying to put everything together. And it all makes logical sense. But sometimes he does set himself against the crowd. Sometimes he is trying to tell a storyline that makes perfect sense, but it's not what the crowd wants. And for this one, he's basically playing a, a very clever game, trying to get the fans to boo Marty's school, to hate Marty's school, to be invested in not just like a winning, but like a beating Marty, as you know, Marty deserved it, the rotter. And Marty's the most popular guy in the show. It just doesn't work. And it's, it's one of the things I've, I've spoken about a lot with Red Pro. Is like, I get, you know, it makes perfect sense why they want to keep continuity with New Japan. I think it's the right thing to do. But I do think for some of these factions that are more popular in Britain than they are in Japan, just have them as It's Like Suzuki-gun, why Rev Pro have always insisted on booking Suzuki-gun as heels when they are so beloved in Britain and at Royal Quest, Suzuki was taken on as the British guy going up against Okada. Just have Suzuki-gun be a British babyface team. And it was the same here. Like uh, this, the, the psychology of this match would have been better if the final two were Liger, Osprey, and you just did a babyface sprint at the end and Liger got his victory. I get, I get why Pruden was thinking the way he was thinking, but you Marty could not get heel heat on anybody because Marty was just too popular.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a problem he has, at- I think, in, in anywhere, any part of the world, actually.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Is it like, you, you get a lot of people saying, oh, AEW, bring him in, they should turn, it, they should bring him as a heel, he's going to lead all their goth losers in a great revolution against the elite. It's like, no, guys, please don't, just bring him in as a baby face. Oh,
1: God, don't, don't dilute Marty's girl with the fucking Dark Order, please. Anyways, uh... Will you? You weren't able to make this show, unfortunately. But do, do you know if any of our uh, compatriots in the world of podcasting are in this audience?
0: Um, I, I'm pretty sure JP and Joe are. I saw he doesn't do podcasts anymore, but uh, Ian Hamilton, who do, who writes for Back Body Drop, who is the only man I know, um, doing in no on an independent site doing uh, written reviews of every single round of the World Tag League, the Maniac. Um, I saw him on front row several times. So in terms of what I saw, Ian Hamilton would be the one.
1: Yeah, see, I I wrote this question for you because I saw Ian Hamilton in the front row. I was like, oh, I think that's Ian (laughs) Hamilton. I've never met him in person, so I couldn't be sure, but he looks like his profile picture, so I'm like... That's probably (laughs) Hamilton. So I, and I figure listening to the grapple spotlight that maybe JP and and Joe might be in this audience. I'm wondering if like, you know, the Brigadier Martin Bushby or, or Benno might be here as well. Maybe the, the Ogden brothers are, are in, in the audience or not.
0: I don't, I honestly don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure this is after Martin stopped going. I may be wrong about that. Um, I'm pretty sure Benno didn't go, but I might be wrong on
1: that. Well, I'll have to um, ask them, uh, the, them privately. But uh, but, but let, let's get let's get to the match itself. Uh, I think what I'll do, just for brevity's sake, I'm just gonna run through the the match blow by blow. I'll, I'll try to I'll try to natural pauses like big moments. I'll, I'll try to get your thoughts on these, but I, I want to just try to kind of rush through this, uh, go through this. So, so Skrull starts by pushing everyone else around. So you're, you're really correct on that front that he's trying to be the heel. He's booked to be like the guy getting heel heat on himself by, by Andy Kuhnlin, uh, Osprey knocks Skrull to the outside, tells Liger and Kushida to, to wait a moment, and then hits uh, Skrull with a top rope, a tope susita. Liger and Kushida shake hands, and then they square off in the match. Uh, Liger gets an early advantage with an Indian Deathlock, uh, Hammerlock combination on Kushida here. Kishida's able to escape. Uh, Kushida does some flippy shit in slow motion. uh to, to keep up with uh, Liger, or so Liger can keep up with him more more, uh, more accurately. Uh, Osprey Osprey joins the match, and Liger, uh, Kashida, and Osprey uh, do simultaneous drop kicks and, and do the you know the classical like Japanese style standoff that's uh, permeated itself into American indie and British independent wrestling as well. So basically, the, the format of the match is it's supposed to be a four way, but for the most part, it's a three way, and this is kind of a story that runs throughout the entire match here. Well.
0: Yeah, so basically Liger's taking a nap for most of this match. He's you know, they they are Seth Rollins and John Cena, he is Brock Lesnar. They you know he he is on the outside and they're just doing crazy stuff. But the story of the match is Marty School just being dastardly like, you know, he gets you know he he, he manages to get uh will Osprey the blame for hitting Liger with the umbrella and uh, he get he get he manages to team up with Kushida for a bit. You know, he's just been in a real in throughout the entire, throughout the entire sequence.
1: Yeah. So, f- uh, from here, uh, Skrull does come back into the match. He goes immediately after Osprey. Uh, Liger and Kushida start going at it. Kashida does a springboard and, uh, he misses Liger. Liger hits a tilt to whirl backbreaker, one of his signature moves. Uh, Osprey joins again and gets a roll up on Liger who, uh, kicks out and sends Osprey onto the ref. Are I think the first ref bump of this match. Not the last though. Not the last though. Well, uh, uh, Skrull attacks Liger with his umbrella and then throws it to Osprey, kind of like an Eddie Guerrero spot. Uh, uh, K- and then Kushida, like a fucking idiot, thinks Osprey attacked Liger with the umbrella. Uh, Osprey protests, but Kushida won't listen, and he decks Osprey with one of the shittiest, fakest looking punches I've ever seen, and that's a shocker to me, because Kushida's really good at landing that punch, so I... Honestly, like, it, I'm sorry? it didn't hit. Like, I was looking at that, like, he hit the air next to Osprey's chin. Yeah, you know Osprey would be up for it, he should have just punched him straight in the mouth, that's what I think, but it looked terrible, the camera angle was really bad, like, again, these guys don't know these camera, these camera people are all like what you're saying trainees. So they don't know what the fuck they're doing. I'm sorry, I'm just bearing the whole production's crew here on this <laughs> on this episode. But that's that's their fault, not mine. I call it like I see it. You know what I mean? So uh, Skrull tricks Kashida even more, and they both stomp away at Osprey in the corner. And to me, it's so stupid. This guy's in the bull club, you know. Kashida's in Hontai, like the the regular army of New Japan. Why would he trust? The guy whose nickname is the fucking villain. I don't get it. Well, it's like Quinlan thought, you know, I'm going to book Kushida to look like a fucking idiot in this match. When he's one of the best wrestlers in the world and one of the smartest, to be quite honest, as well.
0: Look, jet lag affects us all differently. Some of us move around slower. Some of us get headaches. Kushida just gets really gullible. I, I assume that's why he signed that uh, NXT contract.
1: Well, uh, maybe, maybe he's like, uh, he's going to do okay next year. We'll, we'll see. As long as he doesn't go to the UK, he'll be fine. Uh, uh, <laughs> Skrull and Kushida do a double hammer lock on poor Osprey here. Uh, by the way, the commentary from uh, Andy Quinlan and Andy Boy Simmons, it, it fucking sucks. I'm sorry. I've never enjoyed a single, like, piece of audio I've ever heard from this commentary team. They're just trying to get themselves over. They don't, they talk about the match, but in such a way that it sounds Cornballish and and corny and so like 1990s Monday Night Raw from the WBF. and it's surprising. I like here's the thing: Eddie Boy Simmons in New Japan when he's done New Japan World uh, shows with like Kevin Kelly and stuff. I actually really enjoyed him. I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it because I've never enjoyed anything he's done in Rev Pro. Well,
0: yeah, he's on his best behavior when he's with, he's with Kevin Kelly. I think um, again, like no oh, set no, If you if you're drinking at home, take a shot and plug in the A -A squared uh, circle podcast again. But like they did a big thing about about when uh, uh, Simmons got the gig to go to Japan, and Simmons was over the moon, and he took it as a real serious responsibility. Likewise, when he was able to do the strong style of old shows with uh, uh, Kevin Kelly, and I think he you know he puts the legwork in when he's. No, when he's doing those shows, I think there is an issue when he's with uh Quilden. Now these are our best friends in real life. I think they slip into each other's comfort zone, gets a bit jokey. Um I also think the great irony, maybe the great tragedy, is the the, the guys who are most attuned to WWE in terms of Brit Revs are the people behind Red Pro. Like, they're quite open about how they grew up on WWF and how they love it and they talk all the time about it. Quilden and Simmons, to a certain extent, have kind of had to learn on the job and become New Japan fans because this happened to be their meal ticket. And uh, And I think that you sometimes get that kind of... Weird tension in the sense of their booking style is very WWF. Um, we've already talked about the ref bums, talked about the commentary style. But you're presenting these guys from New Japan, and you're trying to present this more serious product. Um, and yeah, sometimes it falls between the cracks. I will say Quilden has gotten a better play-by-play guy since he's stopped doing the announcing i think that whole like i think crudence a very good ring announcer i do like the guy they got now as uh, slick but i think i do think crudence a very good ring announcer i think that whole thing of him trying to run a show do the ring announcing walk back <laughs> to the commentary desk do play by play then pick up his microphone to ring announce that that is not conducive to being a good play by play announcer. And um, Cudden's talked about wanting to get somebody else to take his role as a play by play guy. Um, I think actually a recent ref pro show Mark Davis, who's obviously currently injured, actually did the role. So yeah, hopefully they find somebody to do that role because I think I think Croydon could be a good play by play guy. But you have to put the work in, and the reality is he can't.
1: No, well, it, it really—I don't know—like it's just tropey, I find the commentary, but but getting back to the match, uh, Osprey rallies back and and takes out both guys with a backflip uh, kick. Uh, I made a note here. Well, that you know, in two thousand seventeen, Osprey is so skinny. If you compare him to like oh. two thousand and nineteen, <laughs> but he was big. Well,
0: compared to what he was in two thousand thirteen, he's huge. Oh yeah, like. It- like, yeah, he, he, like, at this point, we were thinking, like, I oh, you know he's, he's put a lot of weight since he was teaming with Paul Robinson. But, like, the guy's, he's uh jack- like, like, Have you seen some of the pictures of him recently? Like, okay. I think he's put on weight since the G1.
1: Oh, yeah, he's not a junior heavyweight. Like, there's no realistic way that this dude's a yeah. junior heavyweight. But, you know, I think this is his last year as, as a junior. I think he's going full heavy in 2020 but like i'm just i just it's just startling to see him this is only two years ago and the the marked difference in his physique and his size is just incredible and like you're saying like you know earlier in his career he's even he's even skinnier than this um the thing about him is that he's got a good frame for for adding weight so that's the positive on him as far as his his physique goes um also walks across because this is a really cool spot he walks across Kushida's back and then catches Skrull with a Frankensteiner. And, and a nice drop kick to Kushida f- right after that. Uh, Skrull holds Osprey for uh, a, a kushida handstand couple kick, but Osprey moves out of the way and hits Skrull instead. There's a shooting star press from Osprey to Kushida. Uh, um, a standing shooting star press, as, as, I, as I recall correctly, actually. Uh, Osprey goes for the Aus-cutter, but uh, Kushida catches him in midair with an armbar, just one of... Kushida's signature moves that I just love every time I see it. There was one time he did it to, like, Kyle O'Reilly. I think Kyle O'Reilly was jumping off the apron onto the floor, and Kushida just catches him in this beautiful armbar. But anyways, I don't want to digress too far there. Uh, Osprey powers out, but uh, Kushida waylays him with a rolling, not roaring elbow. Like, this is the mistake that people like fucking Jimmy Bowers, a.k.a. fucking Gabe Saplowski, and then, like, Andy Quidlin and Andy Boy Simmons here make the mistake. It's not the Roaring Elbow, it's the Rolling Elbow. It's because, you know, every All Japan, you know, announcer who's Japanese, Japanese people mix their L's and R's, so every time people watched the fucking All Japan tape and they saw Misawa hit the Rolling Elbow, they thought it's the Roaring Elbow. And if you want confirmation on this, just ask Kashi aka Chris Yerl. He will set you straight about the correct pronunciation That's of the fucking move. The best British wrestler
0: wrestling today.
1: Well, either they're either Americans. Oh. The best British wrestlers are either Americans or Irish people. I feel.
0: Well, no! Well, well that's his gimmick in NXT UK, which is the only original thing NXT UK has came up with. Um, actually, the, the the best British wrestlers, uh, British wrestlers, tend to be Australian, Australasian, including <laughs> Travis Banks when he was hot. Because, um, like, where I live in Wolverhampton we basically became the mecca for people from the commonwealth coming to train in england so we had like literally like i'd say about 10 minutes away from where i live is the wrestle houses so we're like mark davis carl fletcher live travis banks um el fantasma used to live until he got his new japan deal so yeah we you know, we, you know, we bring the commonwealth to us and then we uh, we exploit their labor it's like the empire
1: never ended. Wow. Well, so you're saying, as as a Canadian myself, as a Canadian, can come to Wolverhampton and I'd fit right in because it's a uh, it's uh, the refugee home for the uh, for all the Commonwealth people. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> let's let's get back to the match. Uh, Skrull rejoins the match and is called a cretin by, by Annie Quinlan for some stupid reason. Why? Why is he a cretin for rejoining the match and trying to get the winner's purse here? Well, I don't fucking get this. This is what really bothers me about, you know, this is an example of what bothers me about this commentary. You know, it's just <laughs> fucking atrocious. It, it, like I said, and it reminds me of fucking Gabe Sapowski from ROH, who is, uh, you know, good, good enough booker. Like, I enjoyed a lot of his work as a booker, but my god, he was a horrible, horrible announcer.
0: I don't think Quilden's that bad. At least Quilden puts his own name to his commentary, um, which <laughs> suggests... I was going to suggest uh, Sapolsky a bit of self-awareness, despite what his Twitter feed says.
1: Yes, he, yeah, well, I mean, you know, well, we're not going to get into Gabe Sapolsky on this podcast. <laughs> Anyways, you know, we already talked about him. I already talked about him with uh, with Benno on the uh, the, the, the Brian Danielson uh, episode. Kishido uh, mm-hmm. gets a uh, double pin on... Uh, uh, both, uh, let's see. I think it's a uh, Skrull and Osprey using a German suplex. There is a Tower of Doom spot as Osprey hits a sunset flip bomb on Kushida who superplexes Skrull at the same time. Uh, it's a big. It gets a big pop from the crowd. Uh, Robinson special from an cutter on Kushida from Osprey, But uh, Skrull throws Osprey out of the ring. Uh, and and I, I wrote, right, at this point, uh, Will, I wrote, where the fuck is Jushin Liger? Like, I have not seen this man in the entirety of this match since he got thrown out of the ring.
0: I told you, he's but Lesnar... There's Seth Rollins and John Cena. Yes. <laughs> this match makes so much sense watching it back after seeing that match. Clearly, WWE stole the match structure. Uh, oh, Actually, no, wait a minute. It's either way around, isn't it? These guys stole it. Um, These guys stole it from the WWE. But um, what I will say is like, I'm not a huge fan of freeway's. I actually like four ways. I think four ways, particularly we do tag rules, which this isn't, um, can work pretty well because you have that natural pairing off. But I think that these three guys actually did a very good freeway match in this sequence. Um, they weren't relying too much on we wrestle, you go away, you wrestle, I go away. They weren't relying too much on that. They were actually doing quite intricate freeway exchanges. That double pinfall attempt. No, that was beautiful. Oh, like it, was, really. it, 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 it flowed really well. Um, yeah, this is really good stuff. This is this is this this is fun.
1: Yeah. So from here, Skrull does end up eliminating Kushida, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight and Ring of Honor World Television Champion, with a mousetrap trap cradle a pin, uh, one of his signature moves. Uh, so
0: immediately, we should, we, we should say that's the move he used to pin. To win his opening match, which I can't was it Taguchi? I can't remember who it was, but his opening match in the tournament—that's what he used to win.
1: So I, I think it's also yeah. So I think you know it's it's, it's clearly established. As one of his finishers, uh, not just like the chicken wing, you know, crossface chicken wing, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Skrull then hits Liger with a, with a super kick. From well, he's standing on the apron, and Liger's still on the floor. Uh, but Osprey goes for the space flying tiger drop, but Skrull pulls Liger in the way, and Osprey hits him instead. Uh, Osprey hits Skrull with a springboard forearm. Uh he hits a staggering dropkick in the corner onto Skrull. Uh Skrull catches Osprey by grabbing his nose and slapping him. Uh Osprey catches Skrull with uh cheeky Nondos for a big two count here. And now we're getting to the pairing of this classic British wrestling pairing of Marty Skrull and Will Osprey here will. Yeah, no.
0: One of the greatest I mean it's really one of the fuse that define Brett Rez. The- this decade two guys that kind of grew up together um like saber is kind of generation before like i suppose marty's as well but marty really only going to a stride at the same point as osprey even though osprey's a bit younger they're just this is not their greatest exchanges ever they've had bare matches both in rev pro and in new japan but it's it's all. There's it, just a natural chemistry, and the characters mesh, and the way they work meshes. And the thing is, this is this is that sweet spot where Marty's got the villain character down, but he's not lost in it, and so he's actually wrestling, <laughs> which at the moment only really comes out in the best of Super Juniors.
1: Yeah, it's it. it does kick to a point where I have always been a big fan. When I first saw that he transformed himself from like Party Marty's girl, like member of like the leaders of the new school with Zack Sabre Jr. and then he became the And I'm like, this is such a much more compelling character. The aesthetic is is way better than Party Marty, and and I've been a big fan. But I get the criticism of him where he gets lost up in the whoop whoop, doing the flapping shit and doing like going always going for figure breaks and shit like that. But when he's when he's wrestling in Japan, he does turn on, like, the wrestling side of his brain a bit more than the character side. Uh, from here, though, let's see. Where am I? Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Skrull well, hits... Uh, so, I was
0: just, just going to say that one of my favorite matches, which I forgot, really underrated in the Best of Super Juniors, was him versus Gresham. Because that was just lovely. You no, know, World of Sport, technical wrestling. I just thought that was... You could tell Marcy was really enjoying his wrestling in that match. And I, I, it was a shame it wasn't given a more prominent spot because Marcy's a bit of a non-person in New Japan, sadly, at the moment. And but if you're given a bit more of a prominent spot, another five minutes, that could have been something really special.
1: Yeah, that was a really good match. Uh, uh, Skrull hits a diving elbow DDT, uh, a driving elbow DDT on Osprey for a two count. He hits Liger again with another super kick to keep Liger. Out of the match, of course. Uh, uh, Skrull counters Osprey's second cheeky nandos with double boots to the face. Uh, there's a big move counter move sequence, which which goes to your, you know what you're talking about, Will. Like this excellent chemistry between Skrull and Osprey. Uh, that and this, this sequence kind of uh, is won by Skrull with a clothesline, but then Osprey hits a stunner, and this gets a huge uh, st- standing ovation from the crowd, who are just eating this this uh, this chemistry between these two up. Oh yeah, no.
0: Again, like these guys have seen Osprey School go at it more times than any of us have had hot dinners. They know the moves. They know the guys. And you know, look, I, you can't. You can't imagine what this means to them. They know. that, you know. the The whole The whole idea of the cruiserweight division in Rev Pro it took more time to get it established. And took him a time to get it to be taken seriously. Um, like Marty did a whole thing of he progressed to be a heavyweight because the cruiserweight was like a lower tier thing. And I've got this packed that building which is not quite as big as rep- as your call, I think, but it's still a pretty big building. Now it's packed, the crowd is going crazy, and it's and it's you know it's based on them and it's based on this legend who you've got to imagine, you go imagine it no. Know, if they, if they didn't grow up on him, they are big fans of now. Right. So, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're doing everything they can to make this special. Uh,
1: from here, uh, you know, Skrull kicks Liger again in the face to keep him out of the out of the match so far. Uh, <laughs> there's another strike exchange between Osprey and Skrull. Osprey goes for the Rainmaker, but Skrull ducks, hits the Crossroads, the Essex Destroyer, and an Oscutter for a big two count. And, and I pop big for this sequence cuz he's just using all these moves that are not native to him but to other people that that uh, he's involved with. Uh this this match is ridiculous. It's fun but it's ridiculous. Uh, Liger tries to get back in the ring, but uh, Skrull kicks uh, the second rope into his groin, which, shouldn't that be a (laughs) disqualification? Uh, I don't know. Chris Roberts not doing his job properly, maybe. Uh, Skrull goes for the chicken wing, but Osprey catches him with a jumping kick to the face uh, uh, and then hits a Rainmaker finally, but only... For a two count. Uh, Ozcutter is blocked and Skrull pushes uh, Osprey into the ref. So, our second ref bump of the match uh, goes for the umbrella, but Osprey uh, takes control of it and hits Liger with it instead of Skrull. Uh, you know, Skrull catches him with a mousetrap and eliminates Osprey. So, not only is Kashida made out to look like an idiot, uh, Osprey is also made out to look like an idiot in the booking of this match. So, now, finally, Will, we are at Liger versus Skrull. So, fucking finally, this podcast, we're talking about the career and match of Jushin Liger. We are finally going to be talking again about fucking Jushin Liger in this match.
0: But can you not feel the heat? Can you not feel the heat? Like the crowd, they're really annoyed at Marty's Scott, aren't they? Like they're booing him. They aren't enjoying what he's doing. Oh wait, no, it's the opposite. Like this, this is the thing. It's like everything we've described, well, you've described in this, that's happened in this match. You can see how this would make heat, how this would get heel heat on Marty. But it didn't. And anybody in advance, in advance of this match could have told Quilden it would not get heat on Marty because Marty's too popular.
1: Yeah, he's too popular. And cool. it is,
0: it's just one of those things where um, Quilden is very good at that logical booking that would have made sense in the 90s may still make sense now with a different audience but just doesn't work for the audience he attracts. Like the example I always use is pack Osprey. I've always I've always stressed this point. I, I ain't against the finish. Um I am not sorry I got, came across all common there. I am not against the finish of Pack Osprey um because it was a draw. I'm against that finish because it was a bad draw in the sense of what Quilden thought he was going to do was set up this idea of, oh, you don't want it to see the match end in a DQ. That would be awful. So you have Pat trying to get himself DQ'd. You have CCK trying to run in and get and, and get um, Osprey DQ'd. You're, you know, the idea is that people are just so like, oh, no, don't let be DQ. OK, it's a draw. I suppose a draw is better than DQ. Yay. And it's just like, no, people don't think like that now. Both a draw and a DQ are a fuck finish. And this is another example. It's like you couldn't do more to get heel heat on Marty, but you just weren't gonna get heel heat on Marty. You were better off just trying to give a really exciting end. And to be fair, the end end sequence is a lot of fun. It is remarkably similar to what they did with uh, El Fantasma and Mike Loku. Which is basically the heel beats up the babyface until the babyface remembers it's a wrestling match and none of this stuff actually hurts, and then and then the babyface destroys the heel, who doesn't have that level of self awareness yet, and then the babyface wins. Uh, so um, oh, no, I saying No, it's 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 a good formula, it's a goofy formula. But it leaves, It sends the crowd home happy. Well,
1: speaking of going home, let's let's let me just run through uh, without stopping the, the 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 liger and Skrull. Uh, uh, Sequences. Uh Skrull goes for the Romero special, but just ends up stomping Liger's knees into the mat. Liger hits a Shote and another one, so he hits two in sequence. Then a Frankensteiner from the top rope for a big two count. Uh superplex, only a two. Uh Skrull blocks another Shote, uh does the finger break, finally, I think it's like maybe his first one in the match. Applies the mouse trap for a very close two, pops the crowd. Uh Skrull goes for the chicken wing. Turns it into a brain buster for a one count. Oh, my God. Liger is rallying. Liger hits a Shote, a Liger Braum, his brainbuster. One, two, three. Finally, Jisha Thunder Liger beats Marty Skrull after B- he, You know, to be fair, he's much fresher in this match because he's been spending most of it outside. But but he finally defeats Marty Skrull, the man who's outlasted, Kushida, and Will Osprey and Liger defeats him at 23 minutes. Even in this match, uh, your final thoughts overall uh, here, Will?
0: Again, again, like I think it's a very cool moment. I think it's one of those moments that um, the, the the high concept is what probably means more than the actual match. The idea of oh my god, Liger won! Uh, that's that's amazing. Um, he got this great victory this late in his career. Um as I, like I said, like the, the most recent uh British Jacob final, they used this format again. It on one level it worked better because Pac was genuinely hated in a way that uh, Marty wasn't. On the other hand, they added an extra ten minutes onto the match, which wasn't necessary. Um you know, swings and Roundabouts. What I do like was the closing sequences, because obviously the whole point of this is that Liger gets a shot at Bodum's cruiserweight title. So, you know, Liger's about to be presented with his title. Bodum comes out, kicks off. Everybody, including the slightly heelish CCK, come out to kind of stop Bodum beating up uh, uh, Liger and Marty Jones and uh, threatening to destroy the trophy. They kind of kick uh, Bodum out of the ring so Liger can celebrate. And you have this great vision of, like, literally the entire roster, including like people like Matt Riddle, and Kashiro and spray celebrating with Yushin Liger, celebrating this great victory, Whereas Bodum seized on the outside. They'd have their title match with Summer Sizzler, which was fine. Um, uh, I, like They have undeniable chemistry. like They mesh well. Um, it was a bit of a weak finish because it was like a weird rope-assisted uh, brain buster for the finish from Bodum. But uh, that, would, that would end... Uh, Liger's brief tilt as a championship gold, uh, cruiserweight championship gold in a, in ref pro. Um, he had had matches against Devitt and AJ Styles um, in years previously, but yeah, this 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 brief sequence ended there.
1: Well, I mean, we we uh, we talked about the match where he won his last championship anywhere in the world, which was the British J Cup in 2017. So, like, I I thought enjoyable match overall. But I thought, a bit overbooked, I thought it was a little bit messy, and, and just it's just so kind of telegraphed, like, everything that was done to uh, Liger to keep him out of the match so it could be the finals between him and Skrull. But I, I do think, like you said, it would have probably been better, because Os- Skrull, no matter how he's booked, is not going to get booted. It would have probably been better to have Babyface versus Babyface in Liger versus uh, Osprey. Possibly as a as a better match, but still, it, it was fun. I did enjoy a lot of the the closing stretches and a lot of the things leading up to the various pins in, in this match. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the Bodum. He comes back. He he, he attacks Liger and he targets Marty Jones. This brings out the locker room. I I thought that was kind of cheesy, actually, to me, especially like all <laughs> these guys who are probably want to laugh. They're like trying to pretend that they're serious looking like like, for example, like Chris Brooks. I see here. I don't know if I can ever imagine Chris Brooks doing a serious face because he's he just seems so jovial all the time in (laughs) wrestling matches. But it's not a knock against him. I'm a big fan of Chris Brooks. But, you know, I just watched that. I was like, it's really cheesy. This moment here, It's, it's, it's it comes across as so so fake. You know what I mean? Like, the, the picture at the end where they do the... Everyone was posing. and The look on... The sheer joy on Matt Roll's face to be able to take a picture, a group photo, and, and be included in it with Justin Liger just comes across so well on, on Matt Rolls' face. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see, like, two years later, he's, like, he's one of the biggest stars on the NXT brand. He's, he's, he's slated to probably become a huge star in WWE main roster, either on Raw or SmackDown. And so it's kind of interesting to see him, you know, here in Rev Pro in this situation where he just looks so happy to be, you know, just be in the well, same ring as Jason Liger.
0: Well, this, I mean, I put this tweet up um, earlier today the day we were recording this. So it was like, I increasingly don't know whether it was WWE UK or NXT hoovering up all the US indie talent that had the biggest impact on the Brit West Indies. Because I like, usually look at this show. You've got Matt Riddle, you've got Kushida, you've got Kyle O'Reilly, um, who was the, uh, uh, who faced Kushida in the first round. And like I remember, like um you know, go back to last year, uh, Epic Encounter, yeah, Epic Encounter 2018. Keith Lee, Jeff Cobb, Matt Riddle, all on that show, all now kind of, kind of out of retro's reach because they've been contracted by American guys. So yeah, the the, the way the landscape has shaped, has changed is amazing. Um, I don't know, like I suppose the thing is it's very easy for me to buy in that the whole locker room uh rushes out to beat up Bodum. i like, I just kind of believe that like it feel, it rings true to me. I don't know why it's a shoot and there, there may be things he's done um um you know backstage in the ring outside the arena that may make his fellow performers feel that way. Who am I to say? But yeah, it it didn't feel corny to me. Um, But I suppose the thing is, it's a very WWE trope. Like, you you can just see and thinking, no,
1: this is just like Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. Exactly, that's, that's the exact feeling <laughs> I got. So let, let's wrap up uh, the review here. Uh, will like let's let's talk about like uh, this is being recorded before uh, Russell Kingdom before the uh, the last match of Jushin Thunder Liger's career, which will take place from the Tokyo Dome during the second night of Russell Kingdom's two night stand at, at the Tokyo Dome uh, on January fifth. Uh, who would you like to see be Liger's last opponent, and do you have a guess as to who it might be?
0: So, the person, not necessarily at the Tokyo Dome, but the person I am disappointed we're not getting a match with, uh, when I say decide to do it here, is El Fantasmo because it felt like with El Fantasmo's heel gimmick and his interaction, the planned interactions at um, uh, Liger's last UK show, the interactions they had at the, the, no, the New Japan Jacob uh, that was held in America, and some of the other stuff that's happened in some tags that they will build into a liger el match um and i think that'll work quite well because of like like uh el Phantasma's new hill character and um, the year after this the show we reviewed they have a perfectly fine match where liger actually did probably more than did across these two matches in terms of taking bumps um so I, I I think it's a shame we didn't get that match. I think it's a it's a it's a real shame we didn't get that this December because I think Liga having one last time in your call cool, and um, a real heated match from the last phone. In terms of who I would like to see like um, Liger uh, face at the Tokyo Dome, like the obvious answer is whoever. Wins out of Osprey uh, Takahashi, but they're they're facing on the fifth, aren't they? They're being reserved for the second day, so I, I don't know, like. No, honestly, no, that's, a, that's the fourth. That's on
1: the fourth. Is
0: is Osprey Takahashi the fourth? Yes. So obviously the winner of them to to kind of salute the legends in the in 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 his final match, I think would be quite powerful. I think the alternative would be Ishii just because I want to see Ishii in every match, but I think uh, Ishii Liger, um, Ishii's been those war horse on the, on the kind of mid card of new Japan. Um, I don't think they've crossed paths very often, if at all. I certainly can't remember a big singles match they've had. So I think Ishii Liger would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I, I tend to think it's, it's going to be Will Ospreay. I think um, it, it would be a great, like, last match because you know osprey would do go out of his way he would kill himself to try to get a a great (laughs) final match for for liger bump like crazy for him Uh, but i think it would be a nice uh, kind of like cap to not only liger's career but also be a great cap to like you know will osprey's phase as as a junior heavyweight and then then he can definitely say i'm now a heavyweight i've you know like he would obviously have to go over And, and like he would say i've beaten the legend you know that's I've done everything in the junior heavyweight division I'm now full on board with the with the heavyweights the other thing you could do is obviously Haruma Takahashi could if he, I think he's going to win on the 4th I think he's going to win the title if he defends that belt against Jayson Liger in Jayson Thunder Liger's last ever match I think that would be very appropriate as well so but we'll see what happens as of this recording they have not announced Liger's opponent for uh January 5th so uh, we'll see can I ask a question yes
0: do you think they'll announce
1: it ahead of time? Um, I think if they're going to do the the Osprey Hiromu w- winner gets or loser gets Liger, yeah, I think they'll announce that ahead of time. I think they'll probably announce it on the upcoming Road to Wrestle Kingdom shows, obviously, that are coming up as of this recording. We're recording this before the end of the World Tag League. So we'll get that in the the series of shows before you know the end of end of the year, so we'll see what happens. I do think they're going to announce it because I do think they want to try to drive sales for the fifth yeah. even more. I think I'm I'm not sure. I do think the fifth is maybe not uh, selling as well as the fourth has because that's the traditional date. So we'll see what happens. Uh, his. His retirement match, uh, sorry, his retirement ceremony will be on the next day at uh, New Year's Dash on January 6th. That I will be going with uh, John Way. We we were able to secure tickets for that. Yay! So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, Will, thank you so much. If people uh, want to find more of Will Cooling, where can they go? So
0: um, for, before I get to myself, I just say if you want to find out more about Rev, uh, want to see more of you, should the Liger's matches at Rev Pro. Probably the best place, unless you're really keen to watch more web Pro matches, which their VOD is his and miss, as we said, um, is High Spots Network. No, 9.99. Most of his big matches, including matches against AJ Styles, um, uh, Prince Devitt. I don't think they've got the Zack Sabre match maybe wrong, but I like, love his big matches he did in Rev Pro are actually on High Spots, or you can go on web Pro's on-demand service, so... We're find out more, watch some of the more matches he did. I'd actually say the match uh, the match that I've seen of his, the AJ match is very good. The Sabre match is probably my favourite because it's a lot of that kind of cool grappling that Liger started to lean into um, in the later stages of his career, and it meshes well with uh, Sabre. But in terms of myself, uh, on Twitter, I'm at War Cooling. Um, I do the Bush Wrestling Reports. On a somewhat weekly basis uh, for Pro Wrestling Torch, um, maybe one this weekend. Oh no, this is going to go out much much later. So, yeah, British Wrestling Report. Um, I basically talk about all the latest news and um, that's happened in the wacky world of British wrestling. Review shows I like, C live or on VOD. I do try and keep up on um, how uh, British guys are getting on in America and uh, Japan. We also started to do some deep dives with my colleague, Rich Fan, where we talk about some British shows in-depth, kind of doing what, kind of what I've been doing with WH here, kind of talking through with, uh, with uh, a North American about what we make of the show, in terms of our different perspectives. Did one about uh, uh, Everything Resurgence, sorry, everything patterned by Wrestling Resurgence, um, which was uh, Wrestling Resurgence's Black History Month show back in October, also done one on Fight Club Pro's uh, Project Mayhem Night 1, which was the big Fight Club Pro versus Team Schrodenfreude, which includes uh, includes W.H.'s boy uh, Chris Brooks.
1: That's right. One of my favorite British wrestlers going on right now anyways uh maybe in the future will you and i will do a sergio leone uh, star wars podcast uh <laughs> for our patreon of some sort <laughs> in the future we were we were talking in depth about both uh, the star wars uh films and uh, sergio leone not not such a you know not such a you know mixed bags so to speak it, they go really well together if you if you really think about it but anyways well thank you so thanks. much for uh doing the show with me uh, on behalf of the listeners i'm gonna and on behalf of will i want to say to the listeners uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode thanks so much for listening to the series and being very supportive of it i really appreciate all the great comments about about the the work i'm putting into this show and until the next episode i will say goodbye